truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Welcome to The Blaze, live and on demand. This is The Steve Dace Show. That would be me. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. If you would like to join us. And why wouldn't you? 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. For those of you that don't have that visual of my last name in front of you, because you're listening today on the Blaze Radio or via the podcast, the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show as well. And if you are watching Actually, you wouldn't be watching on the podcast. If you are listening today on the podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Coming up uh, a little bit later on today, we've got a jam-packed show, three non-political questions. We take a little break from the world of politics. That's later this hour. We're going to talk about a new book which goes into an alienated America, more into the polarization of the American people and one of the signs of, of how this has occurred that largely goes unnoticed by our elites, it's that we are abandoning the very institutions the elites encouraged us were passe and no longer necessary, you know, like church, marriage, family, etc. We'll get into that, plus some Theology Thursday coming your way a little bit later on and more. Of course, we love to also, whenever we have an opportunity on the program, support worthwhile causes like our friends at Back to Jerusalem. They're based in communist China, and their their hope, their mission, their ministry is to reach uh, as many closed countries between Jerusalem and communist China as they possibly can with the light and hope found only in God's Word. Now, here's the problem, though. A closed country doesn't want to let that hope in to influence its people to throw off the weight of their own sin and then maybe uh, say, hey, I don't want you, uh, dictators, tyrants, imposing your sinfulness on us anymore either. We we want to be free people. We're free of our own sin. We kind of now want to be free of your sin. That's why they don't want to let the word of God into those countries. Back to Jerusalem wants to change that, though. They've got the word of God, and they've kind of taken the actual scriptures and, and shrunk them down into a form that makes it a little bit, or a package, I should say, that makes it a little bit easier to sneak past the goalie there. They're, they want to get te- at least 10,000 of these into places like North Korea, Somalia, Iran, communist China. Um, if, if this is something that uh, you would like to share uh, their heart and, and bring this hope to these closed countries, it's just $15 one time, the cost of you and a loved one going to Chick-fil-A today. Um, maybe you go somewhere else instead or put it off for a day and and send the word of God to one of these closed countries instead. Here's how you can do that. To go to the website, blazehelp.org. That's blazehelp.org or give them a call at 844-305-0566, 844-305-0566. And now here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Walking Away. Basically, uh, they wanted the sanctions lifted in their entirety, and we couldn't do that. They were willing to denuke a large portion of the areas that we wanted, but we couldn't give up all of the sanctions for that. So we continue to work, and we'll see, but we had to uh, walk away from that particular suggestion. President Trump asked about responsibility for American Otto Warmbier's death. Quote, a lot of people, big country. And Kim Jong-un, quote, 
tells me that he didn't know about it, and I'll take him at his word. So, what was the point of that? Oh, by the way, two nuclear powers are engaging in open military conflicts against each other. Border disputes over the Kashmir region of northwest India and northeast Pakistan have been boiling for a long, long time. But a suicide attack on February 14th in the Indian-controlled side of the region kicked off another round of fighting and standoffs from both sides. Anywho, and on to vastly more important issues, an update on the Cohen testimonies. Republicans spent the day attacking the credibility of the man who debunks all the worst theories about Trump, and Rashida Tlaib called Mark Meadows a racist. I'm the chair. Yes, sir, you are. Thank you. So there's that. The Washington Post published a story saying the First Lady of Virginia, a.k.a. Ralph Infanticide and Blackface Northam's wife, handed some raw cotton to a black eighth grader during a tour of the governor's residence and said, imagine being enslaved and having to pick the crop. Pam Northam apologized Wednesday, saying, quote, I regret that I have upset anyone. A recent Washington Post piece tells the story of a pediatrician who found some YouTube videos in the kids-only section of the video platform, YouTube Kids, had suicide tips spliced into footage of a children's video games. This comes the same time YouTube has been cracking down on fellow Blaze TV host Steven Crowder for being conservative, apparently. They shut down his live stream event covering the Oscars this past weekend while leaving other Oscars streaming parties freely available. And according to a Project Veritas video released this week with a former Facebook employee and documents obtained from said employee, Facebook, no surprise, is suppressing conservative content and has even specifically mentioned another Blaze TV personality, Lauren Chen, in their plans to do so. A conservative activist was punched in the face at UC Berkeley. The response enraged the right. I guess we haven't even talked about this. This happened about a week ago at UC Berkeley. The student taking the beating there is someone recruiting for Turning Point USA. Oh, And finally, there was a subcommittee meeting earlier this week on climate change, except not enough Democrats showed up to outvote a motion to adjourn. All those in favor say aye. Aye. All the opposed say no. No. In the opinion of the chair, the no's have it. And the motion is not agreed to. Yes and nays. Is that a denial of fact? (laughs) The uh, clerk will uh, call the roll. The clerk will announce the result. Mr. Chairman, on the motion, the ayes are four and the nays are two. And also, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's chief of staff was spotted eating a burger earlier this week as well. (laughs) And that's what happened while we were away. Can I ask a question? What, what the hell is wrong with the Northam family? Do, do you know? What's next? Jews visit the Virginia governor's mansion? Here's some ash. And imagine what it would be like in a gas chamber. Local Christian school goes down there. Here's some blood-stained wood. Envision yourself on a cross. What? What? The hell is wrong with the Northam family? It's like the white progressives from Get Out got elected to the governorship in uh, Virginia. Oh. Can I have your brain, please? That. (laughs) Hi, little eighth grade black girl. I would like your brain. Uh, Thermal exhaust port. Direct hit. That. That's. 
That's that'll preach that observation right there. You're right. What you know what? Tomorrow, Ralph Northam. Hey, I I'm not a racist. I voted for Obama twice and I'd vote him for a third time <laughs> yeah. if I could. That's a line right out of the movie. Have you ever seen people like that? Do you know I there I don't know anybody like this. They're Regardless ever, of their politics, I've never met anyone well, like this. They're all over the place, man. This is Here's some cotton. This is progressivism, man. This is what it does. This is what's been going on here locally and sports radio with all this Dolph stuff. It's been that stupid. Next thing you're going to tell me, feminists are smearing menstrual blood on their face I know. or something crazy. Like, uh, that's, yeah. I, I, I uh, saw that. I considered okay. I, I I've been a little squeamish this week for some reason, and I just could not. You know, you know how hitters at Major League ballparks have their own walk-up-to-the-plate music, Steve? Be careful. You know, we— Just, just, just let me say— we just got some really good news. Traffic at the Blaze here is up like 143%. I just signed a new three-year contract, okay? So with that in mind, think long and hard about whether oh. this punchline is worth the cost. Oh, no, this cost. is pretty benign. I just okay, think, I just want to make sure. Go ahead. This right. is very... We, okay. we just need like our own gifts that Aaron has ready because I'm watching that whole thing, laughing or not. And once again, I mentioned this before, that visual of the the soldier in Dunkirk who just walks out into the surf to end it all. That was that was me during that whole montage. It's it's that ridiculous. Um the Cohen testimony yesterday, I did not watch a second of it. I had friends of mine like send me clips and stuff. I had, no I I didn't I won't watch any of it. All the analysis, I don't care about any of it, okay? But we haven't done this before. I'm going to put today's truth bomb right in the opening segment of the show, okay? Brought to you by my new book, uh, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise, endorsed by people you like a lot more than me. Uh, Matt Walsh, Mark Levin, Ben Shapiro, Glenn Beck, Dan Bongino. So uh, if you won't take my word for it, Take theirs. Not to mention, my kids are counting on you right now because they're thinking Disney. All right? So uh, pick up your copy right now at Amazon.com. Uh, it's not a bad book either. Um, and I will say this. There's one chapter of this book. It's the it's the best writing I've ever done. Now, admittedly, it is a low bar, but it is the best writing I've ever done. We'll get to that chapter. You probably know what chapter I'm talking about. There are a lot of good chapters. In no, there. This, this, one, this one is the best writing I've ever done. I mean, it's it's as profound as a Jesus wept almost, if you know what I'm getting at. What I'm, oh, you know what I'm I do know the chapter yeah. you're talking about. And if you want to know, too, get your copy of Truth Bombs today. So here's all you need to know about the Cohen testimony. This tweet yesterday from, from Byron York at the Washington Examiner. Michael Cohen is knocking down various crazy anti-Trump stories. The the Prague trip where Cohen went to meet with WikiLeaks, the money laundering, uh, the the love child, uh, the abortions that he paid for with the mistresses, the elevator tape, the P tape. That's what uh, that's what York means by other tapes. That was the uh, the infamous uh, uh, motion GPS or fusion GPS, the P tape, right? He, he that Cohen was asked about all of this stuff apparently. And, and Byron York says, Cohen said, none of, none of this stuff is true. None of it is. So basically, Michael Cohen undermined almost two full years of cable news. <laughs> According to what Byron York here says, then, then the last part there, this, after Republicans spent all their time attacking his credibility. Here's all you need to know right here. This is it. 
He literally, I, I, you know, this was tribalism at its finest. All right. So he, he did say, because I saw this in my Twitter feed, he did say Trump's a con man, grifter, racist. So since Michael Cohen has no credibility, apparently Trump is absolved of being a con man, grifter, racist, because that's what Cohen said he was. But he is not absolved of the P-tape, uh, paying for abortions, uh, the love children, money laundering, the uh, Russian collusion, right? That's, is that, am I doing this right? Am I doing it right? Who says? <laughs> uh, everybody. Um, uh, this yesterday, uh, and my Twitter account, of, of the accounts I follow reacting, reacting to it, was by and large everything that, we all knew going in it was going to be, except there was one moment with uh, Brett Bear on Fox and Jim Jordan. And God bless Jim Jordan. If you're in his office, don't ever do that interview again. Just don't ever do that again. I mean, it was embarrassing to watch when I saw this clip yesterday. Brett Bear is basically asking him right out of that tweet. Well, he said he had, you, you just said Michael Cohen has no credibility. He absolved the president of Russian collusion, uh, the most spurious accusations about his private life. So does that mean those things aren't true? Well, I don't know. He just has no credibility. It was just the worst form of tribalism you could imagine. Best thing the Republicans could have done, frankly, and I'm not just saying this because he's my friend, but this is one of the reasons why we're friends. Best thing they could have done is what my buddy Chip Roy did. Americans got a lot better, a lot more important things in their minds than this right here. This whole entire thing is a joke and a charade and it's pointless. So can we move on to, you know, debt, um, national sovereignty, national security? This is a pointless exercise. This was, this was an opportunity for each side to get its clicks in and show both sides yeah. of the cheek of the rear end. That's my opinion. Aaron, you don't remember any bad Jim Jordan interviews, do you? No, I, no, no not when Steve was out of town and you and no, doesn't, we doesn't didn't comment on that. That yeah. guy is all hat and no cattle. Yeah, just if you're on a staff, tell him don't do that ever again. I'm a little disappointed in you though. I th I thought I was going to get some pushback. I I, I tweeted you that one uh, video of Kim Jong Un dancing. You, I got nothing back. I don't. You. I didn't even see it. Really? I, I thought it. Okay. You got to look at it because there it, got there got to a point last night where it was so pointless in my feed. I literally just walked uh, away and watched college basketball. So somebody while, broke you before I did because yeah. I was I wanted to be the one. Wife had an appointment. The kids had Wednesday night mm -hmm. programs at church, and I I finally just said I'm I'm watching college hoops. You I made can't do this anymore. A series of good life decisions. Then is what you said. That's what you said. <laughs> any, any chance we could pull that up? Aaron, I let my now? wife out I'm, of the house. I sent what? the kids to church, Todd, and I watched basketball. Todd, how long have we known <clears> each other? Why do you just assume that I'm not doing that right now? I I I do, but I feel it's polite to ask. I mean, yeah, I'm I know. Giving you a hard time. I know your checkoff back there. Give it all she's got, Captain. <laughs> let's let's get to what I think needs to be discussed much more much more seriously. That's that's what happened in North Korea. Rule number one: Stay out of Vietnam. Stay out. Of Vietnam. Is this even worse than bringing up Nazis? Nothing like good happens in Vietnam, coach. Nothing. Stay away. When was the last time an American walked out of Vietnam with a win? Ever? When someone brings you a great idea, 
or at least what they think is one, and they're selling it to you, and then they close with, and we're going to do this in Vietnam. No. No. It's an economic powerhouse now, Steve. Stay no, say no. Just say nay. Say no. Claim bone spurs. You see what I did there. Come up with some kind of an excuse why you can't go to Vietnam. Say, hey, I'm fighting my own personal yeah, battle with this. I'm fighting my own personal battle yes. with STDs right now. <laughs> whatever it is, whatever lame excuse you have, stay the hell out of Vietnam. All right? That's number one. Number two, completely be clowning yourself and embarrassing yourself and genuflecting to the worst people on earth isn't a negotiation tactic. They will take it. (laughs) There it is. There it is. I'm trying to be serious here, please. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. You cannot show weakness to these kinds of people and expect them not to respond to it. When you go in there saying, you know, we're going to drop our demand for full denuclearization, while I talked for months about what great friends we are, what a great person you are, how much your people love you while you're raping and murdering them in between starvations, why would they not then turn around and say, hey, we just kind of want, we just came here and thought if we gave you a photo op, the sanctions would end. Why, why would they not take that? Given what you've already given them unilaterally, why would they not? I suppose this is where setting the bar for a president that is is unacceptable. He's not a child. He is the most powerful man on planet Earth. He gets no credit for walking away. Zero. And I found it fascinating that it was a lot of the president's most vociferous critics that were giving him praise for walking away. I found that interesting. Make of that which you will. Hey, when your son bloodies his brother's nose without cause and he goes and gets the Band-Aid, do you say, you know, it was really nice of you to do that? No, no, no. He gets no credit for walking away from, hey, surrender to the dictator of North Korea. That's our offer. It took no, it took no restraint. It took no, it took no nobility. It takes no uh, statesmanship. To walk away from, you know what, um, just go ahead and drop to your knees right here in front of the world while you're, you know, halfway down there, if you don't mind. That takes no credit, none. Zip, zilch, negative integer credit, none. This was a terrible, embarrassing episode. It's one of the most embarrassing things and behaviors from an American president I have witnessed in my lifetime. And if it was somebody with a D after the name, we'd all, every last one of us, would be saying so, and we'd be right then, too. And then you get into what happened with Otto Warmbier's family. Some things are above partisanship. Some things are about, but the Democrats. Some things are about just, just pure human decency. The, the Otto's family was gracious enough to accept the president's invite to his first State of the Union address at a time his presidency sorely needed some credibility. And for him to then turn around and say yesterday on camera that that he's exonerating their son's killer based on the word of the killer is terrible, period. No disclaimers, no caveats, period. End sentence there. 
terrible, period. Terrible, period, terrible, period. Demand better. This is not a child. Demand better. Put yourself in that family's shoes for a moment. That's terrible. And the the presidency of the United States should be a better than that. What is America first about bromancing arguably the worst human being on planet Earth? He would certainly be in the conversation. What's America first about that? Well, well, Steve, Reagan went to Reykjavik and walked away. This is not the same thing at all. Let me explain why. Because most of you telling me this weren't alive back then. Reagan had spent the entirety of his presidency up until that point, rhetorically, actually, theologically, opposing the Soviet Union in the strongest of terms. In the strongest of terms. You know, that whole peace through strength thing. Remember when we believed in that? Remember when we thought that peace through strength thing was good? Good times, man. Those were some good times, right? All they did was, you know, bring down the Envil Empire. Good times. So this was, this. Gorbachev was attempting to push Reagan contrary to his messaging and his principles. It was Reagan who sensed weakness, and that's why he walked away. This is the opposite. In this case, Trump has talked about what a great leader this guy is. What a great person. And they're really good friends. So it only makes sense then a complete and vile thug villain with his own wing of hell awaiting him would walk in and say, you know, you've given me, you know, 75% of what I want for nothing. Why don't I just ask for the next 25 while we're at it? This was a flop. This wasn't four-dimensional chess. It wasn't any chess. It was a colossal embarrassment. And then that's devastating what he did to that family. I don't want to surrender this country to communists. But it's interesting. On the same day this comes out, some extensive polling of Texas is released. And it shows that Trump is tied or losing to every Democrat with high name ID in the state. The only ones he's beating are candidates like Kamala Harris that not a lot of, that have lower name ID. Joe Biden, tied or losing. Beta O'Rourke, tied or losing. And I thought, you know, I saw polls like this prior to the 2018 campaign. Remember the polls that had Cruz losing to Beto or only up by a couple points? Remember how we mocked him and laughed? No way, that's right. Remember that? We mocked him for a year. Mm -hmm. Then election day came. Remember that one? And we were sitting here like, sweating that puppy out. Remember that? Cruz damn near did lose to Beto or work. How is it possible? Today, we're going to report 3% growth in the economy. We're seeing our first increase in wages since Clinton was president. Pretty much every optimism indicator that you would want to see in a culture is pointing the way you would like. How is it possible then that his approval rating is what it is? How is it possible then? Well, Steve, there's no way he's going to lose Texas. I don't know, but let's say that it's competitive. You know, you know what? 
we, we, <laughs> the amount of time and money you have to spend to close out Texas is time and money you ain't spending in Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa. I mean, if Texas is going to be competitive, you can't be in nine places at once. You're describing the Hillary mistake of yes. not going to Wisconsin. Yes. If I were the Democrats and I saw numbers like that, and before I say Quinnipiac, who came out with the poll, has had some issues recently, I'll tell you this. I talked to my best little birdie today. I think, I think my, my self-confidence and my political analytical skills, I think you guys know I hold my own skills in fairly high regard. But I have a group of people that I defer to them. He's one of them. He's number one on the list. When he tells me something that my analytics say isn't isn't right, I go back and check my analytics because I take his word for it. That's how good I, this guy is, how much I trust him. He just got done doing a massive high-dollar swing state poll. He just told me this this morning. And he told me, Steve, these numbers in the Q poll in Texas are exactly what we saw in every swing state we just did. This is a president who's, and I don't care that they won some seats in the legislature in Connecticut last night. My goodness. Trump going to win Connecticut in the 2020 election, do you think, Todd? No. Is any Republican going to win? No. No, no, no. It's irrelevant. There's boys winning girls track meets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be far more concerned about margin of error leads in Texas polling than you won two, you swung two seats in a Connecticut state legislative race. That's meaningless. If I, with that kind, because, because my buddy working for the GOP, if he's got that kind of data, you know, the Democrats do on their end. This is like the big money private polling. If I were the Democrats right now, tell me why you wouldn't just have a Beto Biden ticket like right now. Because you know, you're going to win California. You know, you're going to win New York. Imagine if you won Texas. Do you know what happened if they won Texas? They, it, it, it would be over. You'd, you'd essentially, a Republican have to literally win everything else which wouldn't happen because the conditions that would be required for the Democrats to pull Texas out means that you couldn't go into places like Michigan and Wisconsin and win either, okay? When you have the economic numbers we have, when you have the optimism numbers we have, this president ought to have an approval rating in the high 50s. Straight up, high 50s. He can't break 50 in any poll other than Rasmussen's joke. So I don't want to surrender this country to communists in 2020, but if we have any more episodes like we just had in Vietnam, we will. We will. So this isn't virtue signaling. This isn't, I can't even, I would like to win. I, I actually am coming to the conclusion after scoffing at this my entire life because it was frankly a joke and an excuse to vote for a bunch of Republicans who hate your guts and don't deserve your vote. I, I'm actually coming to the conclusion this might finally be the one that actually might be the most important election of my lifetime. Because they are literally declaring uh, we're communists and we uh, are opening the gates of Mordor and we're going to end this thing called American exceptionalism right now. Thanks. Got it in our sights. And you go down this road with a president who continues to be clown himself, continues to lower his, his stature and respectability as a leader. And on the world stage, on the world stage, don't ever do that again. Don't ever do that again. 
Don't put up with it. Don't, don't permit it. Don't excuse it. This is not how you win. This is the, these are the kinds of things, if you're wondering why, if, if you're going to, you know, when we're sitting here, heaven forbid, in January of 2020, watching a Marxist take the oath of office, watching Beto tear down what shoddy walls we do have, because um, it, it's just too hard for the aliens to invade the country with those barriers there. If, if you're wondering, how did this happen? How did we get here? Why did we lose suburban women again? Remember moments like this here. Because this is beneath the dignity of the presidency. I don't care who's in the office. And we as a movement, we as an industry, if we don't say this, if we don't call this out now, when we have a chance to have influence, and excuse it now, because we've got our Cohen clickbait, congratulations, cash the check now. Because there will be hell to pay for this later. Literally. Hey, are you thinking of buying or selling a home this year? Let me tell you, I've done both a couple of times. And one of those times I did, uh, you know, what they call the uh, the double header. Sold a home and then bought one, right? And then it was a buyer's market. And so the homes in the neighborhood that you want to move into are going like that. But you haven't sold your home yet. And you can't put down one of those conditional offers, you know, a condition upon me selling my house because there's already two or three people waiting to buy that home that are already free and clear and ready to go. I mean, it's one of the most stressful times in your life. And I had a good agent. Uh, Amy and I did the last time we did it. Uh, I can't imagine if if you didn't uh, have a good one, how you'd get through this. And, and a lot of these folks, they talk a good game and then can't deliver the results when you need them. That's why Glenn Beck and his team started a company called Real Estate Agents I Trust. You can visit their website at realestateagentsitrust.com. And, you know, we're east of Eden here, so there, there's no perfect utopian solution to literally anything. But you certainly can gamble uh, on somebody saying up front, hey, I want to be vetted. I want to be scrutinized. You know, I'm, I'm fine with my integrity and my record being held accountable because I know what I'm capable of and I know I'll get you the results. And that's what makes this different than other referral services. See, when you go to real estate agent referral services, typically it's about the agent finding customers like you. In this case, this is about customers like you finding the right agent, right? So uh, make sure you sell your home uh, for the right time and, and the right price. And you can do that with our friends at realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. I, this North Korea thing, this just happened while we were here live on the air. Vice President Mike Pence is over at CPAC giving a speech. This is literally going on right as I was just talking. And he's condemning the media's, the liberal media's fawning over uh, Kim Jong-un's sister at the Olympics last year. Sounds appropriately flaccid for Mike Pence. Help me understand. This is why I'm never going to have a lot of friends and why I will probably never be hugely successful around here, just moderately so. I, I can't abide any of that. I just, I, why is it okay for the guy in the Oval Office to exalt 
the head guy of North Korea who's actually doing the raping and the killing, at least most of it. But the liberal media can't fawn over his sister. Help me understand in which universe. We're making whataboutism great again, Steve. What, well, the, you imagine would. you're in that crowd. You want to talk about cults? I've talked a lot about progressivism being a cult. Yeah. Let me tell you what a cult is. The cult are those of you in that crowd at CPAC who applauded the vice see, president. See, that's, what, that, that, that's what a cult is. Here's what would happen. You know, if, if President Trump dropped a line like that saying, well, I really don't agree with President Trump, um, you know, doing and saying what he's done with this bromance uh, with, with Kim Jong-un, you'd really, really ruin all these college Republicans' spring breaks. That's, that's, that's just the reality. It would just be too unfortunate. I'm just going to tell you right now, we, we aren't ever going to out-cult the left, guys. I mean, you might be willing to do a lot of things and look the other way for your favorite Republican uh, politician. You might you might put a uh, Ralph Reed rookie card in the spokes of your bike and drive around, you know, and 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 trade him, a, you know, a Pat Robertson for a uh, for a Charlie Kirk or whatever, whoever the new hotness is. You guys might do all of that. You're never going to like put menstrual blood on your faces. You we we won't beat them cult to cult. I promise you, we will not. We won't. Because in the battle of cults, crazy wins. Crazy always wins. You're not going to beat them this way. You're going to hand over your country to them this way. So the proper response is to look at the vice president and say, maybe you should march over to the, your boss in the Oval Office and ask, you know, why, why he uh, has a bromance with these North Koreans that we all agree are not worthy of exalting. Maybe you should have that conversation. And then maybe we need a break from politics, Aaron. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, indeed, because we all need a break from the continued collapse of Western civilization. As the intro says, three non-political questions. Uh, first question for Steve and Todd. If you were to write a non-political book about a uh, non-worldview matter, non-journalism is magical and not at all broken matter, just something non-political, non-divisive, what would be the topic you write about? What would be the title of the book, and why would you write about that? It would be me. I'm on this one. <laughs> I even asked. You can always tell when I'm not sure how to answer. I'm like, Todd, what do you think? Um, no, I'm on this. I, I, I'm like Chris Evans in the first Captain America movie where, where they think their grenade is on the ground. I'm, I jumped. Uh, reflex. I got this one. Because, man, I have, I have fantasized about this. It would be uh, my experiences and recollections after spending an entire fall in a decked out, tricked out version of the old Madden Cruiser. Remember that? Because John Madden hated to fly. Sure. He had that luxury uh, bus that he took with him, uh, coach, everywhere. Me in a decked out, tricked out Madden Cruiser. And I spent the fall literally going to deciding that's the game I'm going to be at every weekend. All right? And uh, for the for an entire college football season. I It was a magical mystery tour. All over the country. Wait, you actually did this? No, this is what I would do. Oh, this is what you would. I do. would do. Okay. And and the, my book would be my recollections, stories of Americana, um, 
that I got to experience during those fall Saturdays all over the country. That's what it would be. Uh, I think it, it would be called Brothers, and I think it would be about uh, my brother and I uh, growing up, what that looked like uh, from baseball together out in the driveway to time at the Little League field to, you know, he, I mean, he's my best friend to this day. Uh, so I think I would just be talking about what was unique about that. What what were the ties that uh, bind us and how do they speak to uh, masculinity, Americana, etc.? Yeah, I think mine would just be um, the uh, inner recesses of Aaron's mind, uh, ramblings on uh, woodworking and uh, cooking, and uh, and my my life in high school as a football player and star violinist. Just a lot of uh, random factoids about all of those subjects. All of them are of interest to me. Uh, what it's like to live as a hermit shut in. Uh, all of these things are, are, are things that I would je- definitely write about. It'd just be basically a biography. Um, question number two. Is there somebody... That sounds more like a manifesto, a if you manifesto? know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, is is it going to be written by hand in pencil, maybe? Uh, in blood, yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, is there someone you currently have a dude crush on? Who is it and why? <sighs> Do I have a... You know... Um... I kind of like dudes in bull haircuts with rape rooms and concentration camps. Oh, I'm sorry. Non-political. Non-political, my bad. Um, somebody already has claimed that romance anyway. It can't be me. Um, I don't know that I do right now. Do you, Todd? Let me think about it for a second. Do you have a bromance right now? Was it political to say that I think it was a dude who wrote that column you yeah. referred to today? There you go. Which one? The one about the Federalist. Uh, the Federalist oh, column? the guy that, yes. Dude, Man. Yes. that is... That We're, I, we yeah, yeah. It's I, I, I'm saving that. That's going to be on the day script tomorrow. That yeah, okay. That because that that is one of the greatest things that has been written in the history. And I'm not, I'm not. I don't think I'm underselling. I'm overselling it. It is one of the greatest things that's ever been written in the history of conservative media. Agreed. Yeah, that's pretty. That's a pretty good one. That's that's a pretty good one. And I, I don't know. Is there somebody right now that I'm like, I just you know I like the way he uh, I like the way he rolls, handles it's his business. You. Is it you? You have a dude crush on yourself? <laughs> I love me some me. No, no, it's not me. Although I did find out today on a Google alert that apparently I'm worth $13 million. Did yeah. you guys know that? Yeah. So are we all going to Disney World now? Uh, apparently. You know, I, if you throw my life insurance policy that Amy has on me and the company has on me, I might get over a million between with life insurance. That could be possible. You know, and you have a house in the suburbs, that's a few hundred grand. Yeah, that so, website also said you make uh, $20 an hour. Yeah. How many hours do you have to work to make $20 an hour Man. and be worth $13 million? Man, I tell you what, when you got three kids, a wife, a mortgage, that $20 an hour really stacks up, really stacks up quickly. <laughs> do you have somebody? I can't think of somebody yeah, right now. Man. Who? Uh, there's this guy uh, named uh, Seth Kieser. Okay. He is uh, the uh, the athletic uh, X's and O's guy, uh, guy for the Kansas City Chiefs. I tell you what, dude, dude is is real good. Uh, he's not only just uh, a, an expert at X's and O's and charting and uh, understanding analyt- analytics when it comes to uh, football, uh, specifically the Kansas City Chiefs. He also has uh, a, a law degree. He also is a pastor and a solid like he. He reminds me a lot of you. I, Wait a minute. Uh, I don't, that that was awkward. Um, no, he he's a pastor. He's got a family as well. Dude, dude just he is he's my type of guy. 
Have you guys heard like, me what I riffing want to be on when I when I grow up? I, you know, I I can appreciate that. You know, I used to say about it's still true. Probably, uh, I used to say about Josh McDowell. Maybe that. Maybe I'll go to that card. You know, I used to say about the, the Christian apologist Josh McDowell. Oh, sure. That's who I want to be when I grow up. Sure. But have you guys heard me riffing on a dude recently that made you think man crush? And I just can't remember right now. Can no. you think no. of that? In any in any context, I can't think of one. Our list of allies grows thin, Aragorn. Uh, yeah, you know, I know. I, I, just, don't, I don't. So I guess maybe I'll just go back to the, my old standard uh, of Josh McDowell. Yeah, right. I'll go. I'll stick with him. All right. Uh, fill in the blank here. Uh, Captain Marvel will make you nervous about Avengers Endgame if blank happens. You want to take this one first? Well, I think we've uh, we covered this a while ago. Um, if if she's uh, if she's gay, that's uh, potentially problematic. She's not. They would have. They would have. I pumped the hell out of that to oh, get the all way, the by the way SJW hey, street cred they could. Speaking of that general topic, I finally watched Solo over the weekend. Uh, that whole thing about um, uh, Lando sexual being uh, Lando. A, yeah. a robosexual. Yeah. What a bunch of bunk. Well, what was never, the point of that? I'm never going yeah. to. I'm never going to jump on because I put that into montage. I think I, I'm never going to jump on the early. Oh, they're they're social justice. I'm never jumping on that again unless there's verifiable, like absolute. Uh, you know, you can't miss this. It was actually kind of funny. The the whole trope. It was just a stuck up droid who uh, high, had a really high opinion of herself. That's all it all it was. But go ahead, Todd. Sorry. Well, I, I mean that's that's the easy one. Um, but if they um, if they lay the table for her, I mean, if, she, if the virtue signaling the actress Brie Larson is doing right now is part and parcel of who her character is, um, it it speaks to your concern that you had a while ago, Steve, mm-hmm. about uh, this is. Um, it would have to come in a different way because your original concern did not have to do with the total resetting and going back, which seems logical now based on the Spider-Man trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think there would be cons- some concern about how the this is, you know, the humans were kind of the the bad guys on some level all along thing. I, I man, I can't see after taking this long of a walk this long of a walk that they would go there but man total depravity i just don't i don't know i i i think one of the one of the rules i think you're saying play itself out you saw this with beauty and the beast for example you saw this with the second how's your dragon film uh and then you just referenced uh you know where the guy with the peg leg and the how to train your dragon movies and the second one says uh well, there's another reason I didn't get married and then they don't tell, go yeah. into it and they made a whole big deal about how this is the first gay character and they made a film and How to Train Your Dragon 2 actually did not do that great at the box office compared to the first one. Whether that had something to do with it, I don't know. Movie's also not as good. They may have another thing to do with it. Um, I think, you know, what? Th- th- there's like Godwin's Law, sooner or later any argument will delineate into a Nazi reference, mm-hmm. okay? What's the, what's the law that any institution's not firmly planted and governed um, from the right will eventually deteriorate to become left-wing. You've heard that one probably before, too. I think we're going to have to apply a rule to social justice, worrying, and movies, which is 
the when, mainstream movies. Main, let me put that caveat out there. You know, a mainstream, wide release movie meant for a mass audience, not you know a specifically political movie that you know it has you know will open in New York, L.A., and ten other cities, and no one will see. Okay, like the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie, for example. When it comes to mass movies, um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna wager that we're gonna watch the more the more politically correct virtue signaling that goes on before the film's release the less politically correct virtue signaling the actual film is. Okay. And I'm going to use Wonder Woman as one of my primary examples. Go back and look at everything that was said about that movie before it came out. Right. That was how, and, and then when the movie comes out, it literally is right out of a Bible, American Bible study on complementarianism amongst the genders. Okay. Uh, and I think you're going to see the same. I think you saw that with Beauty and the Beast. Oh yeah, we put cross dressers and everything in there, and it, 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 that you know, there's there's a glance of a scene that's in there. Uh, what is it? It's a second and a half in in a, in a two and a half hour movie. Um, the guy with the peg leg or whatever in uh, um, in in How to Train Your Dragon, same thing. Then I think we're going to learn. That this is they make they they offer a pre they they throw up these companies are throwing a preemptive offering up to these to the to the uh, crowd outside of Lot's house in the hopes that they get they get all of the they get they get to check that box because they can't make a mainstream film that's going to make three hundred million dollars domestic with these themes it won't happen you you can't corrupt these characters to the point. That, um, and the Lando pansexual thing is a great example. The movie Solo deserved better than it got at the box office. That's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. It deserved better than it got at the box office. Here's what happened. The marketing for it was terrible. And then when they, when then, when then they tried to blow up that Lando is a pansexual. See, that's where you're a dad or a mom. And you were already thinking it costs an arm and a leg to go to a movie. And now you're going to do this to me and with my eight year old kid. Screw you. I'm not going to see it. And that's where people are like, it's just one more objection, one more reason not to go. Okay, so I think you're. I think I. I, I think the more they try to hype this stuff before the movie is released, the less likely it is that it's going to be part and parcel in the movie itself. They're trying to get all of that social justice warrior street cred before the movie comes out because they still need to make a movie that appeals to a much wider audience than that crowd on Twitter. Well, let me go after something a little bit more subtle. In the in the trailer, she says, I'm, I'm not here to fight your war. I'm here to end it. Yeah. Well, there's this whole trope going through all the movies about collateral damage. And yep. it's been it's really well done. But what if this whole thing, even the even the victories to overcome the collateral damage over and over again, have ultimately are reframed as this whole thing was collateral damage. You guys have always got it, it wrong. And it's some kind of free framing, utopian reframing along those lines. I think you're putting way more thought in it. Well, I was then, asked the question. I haven't yeah. thought about it until this very moment. Yeah, but. I don't think that'll be true at all. I think they Good. just are going to try to sell action figures of girls. That's what I think they're going to do. Okay, and I think they're putting and they're and they're putting all of this out front of the movie now to get this out of the way. And when we go see the movie, you're going to be like, "This is pretty much Wonder Woman and out of space." That's what I think we're going to find out. Cool. Okay. Homeowners beware! A data breach just exposed 24 million of you to home title fraud, a crime that could cost you your home. Uh, if you've got a mortgage, refi, or HELOC through a major bank, it's a breach that may have put you at risk for losing every dollar of equity you've built up in your home. 
and possibly your home itself. The data breach gave scammers what they need to steal your home's title. They can forge your signature now as the seller, refile your home under a new name, take out loans on your home, and then they stick you with the payments. Don't let that happen to you, uh, especially when for just pennies a, d- a day, you can prevent it with our friends at Home Title Lock. They'll put a virtual barrier around the most valuable investment most Americans will ever have, their own home. And you can check now to see if you've already been targeted. If you're already a victim, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register for a free title scan and report. That's normally a $100 value. Free today for our family at The Blaze at HomeTitleLock.com. That's home title lock, all one word, hometitlelock.com. We'll come back. Hour two, we'll have some Theology Thursday. We'll talk about an alienated America next. Stay tuned. And we're back with hour two here live and on demand on the blaze. 888-900-3393 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Hey, when was the last time you had your ears professionally cleaned? Have you ever? Um, you know, this time of year in particular with the winter that will not end. You can have all kinds of symptoms like that plugged up feeling, itching ears, et cetera. Um, you may be thinking, though, I got time to deal with that. I don't want to sit in a doctor's office uh, for you know an hour and it's expensive to go. You know what? What if I could tell you that you could deal with it cheaper and in the comfort and convenience of your own home? Because you can with our friends at Wax RX. They've got a pH conditioned formula like you would get from your physician that you can now access without a prescription right from the convenience and comfort of your own home. Here's how. Uh, go to usewaxrx.com. That's the website. All one word. Usewaxrx.com. Use offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. Usewaxrx.com. Offer code radio. Coming up a little bit later on, we'll continue our Theology Thursday series here on the Steve Day Show. But there's a new book out that touches on some of the themes that we've been addressing on this show in the last few weeks because we found it fascinating how there was an instant recoil about Tucker Carlson broaching some of these topics recently on Fox News. And um, there's a new book out by a guy whose writing I've enjoyed quite a bit over the years that maybe we think touches on some of the same themes. It's called Alienated America from Timothy P. Carney, and he joins us here today on The Blaze. Tim, it's good to have you back on the show. How are you, man? Doing well. Thanks for having me. So Alienated America, what I like about this approach is there was a lot of people um, in both liberal and conservative media who rushed yeah, I think Huffington Post, I think, visited a coffee house in like one flyover state. And then you had people like Selena Zito and others who have essentially moved into some of these states to figure out who are these people that shocked all of us in the punditry with the results of the 2016 election. I, my home state of Iowa, for example, we have 99 counties for reasons only a law knows why a state of this size needs 99 counties. But that's how many we have. 33 of them voted for Obama twice in 2008 and 2012 and then turned around and voted for Trump in 2016. 
And so there's been a lot of rush to try and find out who are these mysterious Americans. What I like about the approach you're taking in your book is you're going a little deeper to on an institutional, cultural, foundational level that really speaks to the polarization and that that we 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 took the the elites told us we didn't need church, family, marriage. We didn't need that stuff anymore. And now we're kind of living through the consequences of of those decisions. Tell us about it. That's exactly right. You're describing alienation, which is the lack of being connected to other people on a human level. And what connects us to other people is not going to be either MSNBC or Fox News. It's not going to be the Democratic or the Republican Party. It's going to be human level institutions, which are is a little league, which is a local coffee shop where people gather. But for middle America, for most of the middle class and working class, the most important institution in American history has been the church. And the crumbling of that institution throughout a lot of America is the root of a lot of the working class problems. That's why the, the cover of Alienated America is not a shuttered factory. The economics plays a role. But it's a shuttered church because the strong parts of rural America, what defines them, the strong towns, that sort of thing, that have... Uh, say, better high school graduation rates, lower out-of-wedlock birth rates, lower opioids. Those are the places that still have really strong institutions, mostly the churches. And the weak parts are the ones where the institutions have crumbled. Are you saying that this idea that we can have fiscal conservatism aside from social conservatism, this idea that that we can make money without conserving the foundations that make our accomplishments meaningful in the first place. This is what the Republican consultancy industry has tried to sell audiences like mine on this for pretty much since pretty much five minutes after Ronald Reagan left uh, the Oval Office. Okay. Are you set? You're basically saying that's a, that's a fallacy that that's not accomplishable. The, there is no access to good, successful, healthy lives without the little platoons, including church, including strong small towns, including your Boy Scout troop, that uh, a a stronger growing economy is great for the whole nation. But if we're doing it in such a way without regard to the local institutions, then we're we're ruining lives. That's that's exactly right. I think you're characterizing it perfectly. Hmm. Were you surprised to find this connection, or did you go into writing this book anticipating it was already going to be there? No. So I wanted to know why there was growing belief that the American dream was dead. And if you remember when Donald Trump first came on the scene, the earliest people to flock to him were not conservative uh, Republican voters of a traditional strain. These were people who often didn't vote, maybe hadn't voted since Ross Perot was on the ballot. Mm-hmm. The earliest 10, 15 percent. These were people, a lot of whom, as you were mentioning, were Obama voters a few years before. These were people who didn't feel at home in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. And a lot of them were feeling that the American dream was dead. That seems so foreign to me here in the Washington, D.C. area, both as somebody who you could classify as an elite, because I went to college, I live in D.C., and as somebody who's in a strong religious community. So what surprised me was to find that the, the common strain of the places that were struggling, the places where people believe the American dream is dead, the common strain was also was often crumbled communities. It was places that uh, that the, and then the common strain between the elites and the strong religious communities. That's what I didn't anticipate mm-hmm. that the village of Chevy Chase, where Brett Kavanaugh's from, very wealthy, everybody has a college degree, most people have an advanced degree, in some very important ways. That's the same as Salt Lake City. That's the same as Orange County, Iowa. 
where you have these really strong church-centered communities. They're the same, not in what they believe on a, on a bigger level or a political level, but that they have really strong community-level institutions that make it easier to raise a family, whether it's a church, a country club, a strong uh, local youth sports league, a strong public school, public libraries, parks. I didn't know going in that what I was going to end up with was realizing the little platoons divide the stronger places, the thriving places in America from the suffering places. Timothy Carney is our guest talking about uh, his new book, Alienated America. You mentioned uh, your your life and work there in D.C. Even let's let's you know let's get rid of the quote unquote. I, I don't even know what a rhino is, uh, you know, anymore. I, 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 so I think I'm the rhino, you know. Like I kind of believe the people that actually think this stuff in the party platform matters are kind of the rhinos now. So let, let's let's use a term of somebody who's maybe um, a small p progressive Republican, Mitt Romney, John mm-hmm. McCain type. Okay. Um, if you, if you took the premise and the evidence of your book to them and their staffs, what do you think their response to it would be? So Romney is an interesting example. So I'll bracket him for a second. He comes from Mormon, Utah, Mm -hmm. where they know how important the institutions are. But for a lot of the Republican establishment, they don't think about how crucial the strong institutions on the local level are, the church the community, because they have their own tribe. This is I wrote about this after Brexit. I had friends saying, oh, the tribalism of these people who just want England to be off on its own. And you realize the people writing this, if they were Brits, they lived in their own tribe that just happened to span international borders. And it's similar in a lot of the Washington establishment. You're in a tribe. You go to the same sort of parties. You send your kids to the same schools. I overlap with that tribe quite a bit. But I also belong to a tribe that knows it's a tribe, sort of conservative Catholics. We know that the outside world is is a a foreign world in some ways from what we're living. So they don't appreciate the importance of tribes and little platoons because they don't think that their tribe is a tribe. They just think it's sort of the regular world. And And so breaking that through, that would be one of my big hopes is that this is going to be read by my, you know, my fellow Montgomery County Marylanders, my fellow Washington, mm-hmm. D.C., and they're going to realize that they're in a bubble and that the most important asset they have is strong community and that that same asset is missing in a lot of America. That There's a reason I asked you that question before I went down the road I wanted to go down here because um, evidence of what you just described anecdotally, I, I saw a column recently, uh, it was in the New York Times or Wall Street Journal by a Bush-era official uh, who was condemning uh, constitutional conservatives for backing Trump's emergency declaration and how they're willing to to bend the Constitution in order to get their clicks uh, in conservative media for Trump, when in reality, he's making it sound like this is a new thing in this industry you and I work in, Tim. We, we overlooked the Constitution for Medicare Part D and No Child Left Behind and preemptive war with flimsy evidence and all kinds of stuff for George W. Bush. It's just that guy wasn't writing columns in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal condemning our our, our compromises because it helped out his tribe. So it was it was yep. okay to do it was okay when we said ridiculous things at CPAC for George W. Bush. It's not okay to say them for Donald Trump. And I think this is a key point here because there's this notion amongst where you, of the smart people where you live. And I still live in Iowa, but there's this where you live there. There's this notion that if Trump just went away, he's the problem. 
and they and they don't understand he is the symptom of the problem that he is not he is not the dr frankenstein he's the monster and dr frankenstein always hates the monster that he created and the reality is now that those people know they can say offensive things and still win elections now that they know that there's actually an audience for some of their cultural flashpoints that the republican parties try to ignore for 25 years when trump goes away they're not going to just put all that stuff back in pandora's box so this idea that that trump is the divisive element here i argue it's actually the other way around tim trump's the one holding this whole damn thing together get rid of him and then and then and, and then bring back traditional republicanism while the democrats are saying boy scouts are girl scouts and uh bake the cake bigot and all that other stuff and you're going to see this party disintegrate when when the when the establishment types are like well you know we did though uphold the chevron doctrine Th- that dog ain't gonna hunt brother that's the point i've been trying to make no, and but I do think one of the ways in which things are getting worse under Trump is that more and more everybody's attention is being sucked into the national, into the one figure that you're either supposed to hate or love right. or regret or rejoice about. Mm-hmm. While the what's more near at hand is actually where you have an ability to influence your life. If you live in a place that has strong community. You can go out, you join an organization, they will right away have you doing things and making decisions in most cases. Um, I belong to a swim club. I belong to a parish. In all these places, the the actually what they do in part depends on me either delivering and doing what I'm told or showing up and saying, hey, how about we do it differently? We are political animals and we're supposed to shape the world around us. What the left and the Occupy Wall Street and those things did is try to say, try to convince you that you're supposed to shape Washington and it's just the big corrupt guys in Washington, which is only half wrong, just the big corrupt guys in Washington are, are quelching your voice. I worry that in the Trump era, both his supporters and his detractors, by focusing all their attention on this one flashpoint, are further the centrally, furthering the centralization. And centralization is kind of the biggest bad guy in my book here, right? Because that's what steals power, that's what steals uh, meaning that's what steals attention from the what's closer at hand. The people we're supposed to be loving, our neighbors, are getting short shrift because we're all focusing on whether we hate or love Trump or Pelosi enough. The audience couldn't see this because you were on screen. And if you're listening on Blaze Radio or on the podcast later, you couldn't see either one of us. I literally just I- nodded my head yes the entire time Tim was talking because <laughs> everything he just said, I wholeheartedly agree with. But again, this is where I would go to the the folks that that you have more of an audience with than me and, and try to explain to them. Let's say Donald Trump is everything you're claiming that he is. Do you know why he has such a grip on the base of people that used to be yours? Do you understand why? Do you get it? And it's and 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 it's not that they just suddenly lost their minds. And and yeah, he has a cultic element of support, and I've called that out on my show in the past. And and frankly, every national politician, as we get more and more sacrilegious, political cults will be more and more on the rise, as you've seen in human history. Okay. But there's a broader theme than that. Tim, we couldn't get Mitt Romney eat a damn chicken sandwich on Chick-fil-A Day. All right. I mean, there were there were there were millions of Americans outside of every Chick-fil-A in the in America waiting to be registered to vote to say enough of being told what to think. He wouldn't even eat a chicken sandwich every turn. This group of people has told these everyday Americans, you're not with us. You're not a part of us. We're not that interested in you. Um, 
And and that and, well, and Trump speaks to their concerns, whether he's sincere or not, is a whole other debate. But there's a reason why he took this base of people away from them, and it's because he at least speaks to their concerns when they seem totally disinterested in them most days. And the the worst thing is t- telling people you may feel you've lost something, but that was something that wasn't that good anyway. Mm-hmm. So, Obama did this with, like your plan, you can keep it. And then when you lost it, he said, well, that wasn't very good. But the cultural left does is with, well, yeah, you're upset because the world has changed, but it's just changed for the better. And the Republican mainstream does this with trade. And I believe uh, that that free trade is definitely good for the economy. I think most protectionism backfires. But if you're going to tell the guy in Fayette County, Pennsylvania, you're going to tell the guy in Fremont County, Iowa, oh, that factory you lost, that's fine, because now the consumers have more surplus, they'll buy something else, and you can just provide whatever services they're buying, things are actually better. What you've lost by losing that factory job that was reliable for a guy just out of high school where he could raise a whole family off of it for the rest of his life and then retire with a pension, what you've lost, that actually was sort of an inefficiencies who are better off with that. What I try to do in Alienated America is argue, no, things of real value were lost. And most importantly, the the steel factory disappearing, that was going to happen eventually because some of these things come and go. But the strong community bonds, the churches, those things that faded away as the second or third domino after the steel plant, those are irreplaceable and they're absolutely necessary. It's the difference between the places that thrive and the places that collapse. In other words, when we had an industrial evolution from an agrarian to a manufacturing society, those institutions that you're talking about were still in place, all right? Now that we have moved from an industrial to a technological society, those institutions now are no longer there. So what we are thinking are economic consequences and collateral damage are not economic consequences and collateral damage. They're cultural consequences and collateral damage. That's exactly right. One of the studies I I cite in Alienated America was this guy who looked at places that had to, in the U.S., that had to compete with Chinese factories. And sure enough, he saw a decline in wages and a decline in employment. But then he also saw a rise in men claiming disability. Maybe that makes a little more sense. Then a decline in marriage. Then an increase in out-of-wedlock birth. And then eventually an increase in deaths of despair, meaning suicide, uh, drug addiction, or alcohol-related deaths. So when these factories shut down, something happened other than the pure economic model would predict slightly lower equilibrium wages. And what I argue is that the, the in some places that only had a few strong institutions, the factory closed, somebody enough people moved out, the diner shut down, some more people moved out, the church shut down, and next thing you know, the people who are left there don't have the connections to other people that they need to live the good life. Hmm. How can our audience get your book, Tim? Alienated America is available anywhere books are sold. If you don't want to support uh, Jeff Bezos, buy it on barnesandnoble.com. Better yet, (laughs) go to your local bookstore, talk to your neighbors, build more civil society, and buy it there. Great stuff. We appreciate all of you that are provoking this conversation. It is long overdue. Whether we all agree with everything you're saying or Tucker said or I'm saying, this is the conversation that, as a movement— is years overdue. We need to start asking ourselves how much how much more economic growth does Texas need 
to to ship in thousands of essentially the last three points of Beto voters, uh, you know, to have, you know, one extra point of economic growth. Are, are we, do we understand what the, what the societal cultural offshoot will be in exchange for one point of economic growth? And we're not talking about an economically impoverished area here. Are we even looking at these broader areas of debate? So I certainly welcome another entry into this conversation. Great job, man. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. It's Timothy Carney again. The name of the book is Alienated America. And, you know, a great tagline along of what we're talking about is what Miss Victoria Hearst is trying to do right now with her own family. I mean, she's looking at her own family, the family of William Randolph Hearst and, and how many billions they've made as a family over the last century. And she's saying, I mean, how much more money do we need? So we're going to take Cosmopolitan magazine. It was already kind of edgy anyway. And now we're just going to turn it into a glossier, uh, you know, more expensive version of Playboy. Why? I mean, how many more, you know, pennies on the dollar can we possibly make? And I guess if we're going to be that cutthroat, she says, hey, then if we're going to do Playboy, let's at least shield it from minors the way that Playboy is. That's why she's asking for our help. Uh, you can lend your voice to hers at CosmoHurtsKids.com. That's CosmoHurtsKids.com, H-U-R-T-S. And if you think your kids aren't being exposed to that, this kind of stuff, hey, we homeschool this or that. Um, we homeschool too. Um, have you been to a supermarket with your kids lately? Because there's a Cosmo in the counter uh, or in the aisle there of almost every single supermarket in America. Look at what's on the front cover there. You're probably too busy making sure that the you know everything's getting scanned and writing the checkout for the bill. Meanwhile, what are your kids doing while you're watching uh, the the groceries go by? They're what, watching what's on the counter, including some of that subject matter. All right, so lend your voice to CosmoHurtsKids.com. Let's get some reaction to what we just heard from Timothy Carner. And um, Todd, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Well. Uh, my my degree from the University of Wisconsin is actually in sociology, and from the time uh, that Tucker wrote his column and the reactions to it, uh, my early fascination there as a uh, conservative, generally conservative guy, uh, but prone to all kinds of uh, mistakes of thinking and living at the time rallied around uh that degree i i I love this stuff the machinery of society how it uh works and as steve has said many many times and uh, lying underneath that discussion you just heard is that what is conservatism is it an ideology no it's an observational science and you you had a uh phd course there in that uh, discussion on you know the non-negotiables and, and and the lies we often tell ourselves the too smart by half lies of what's going on and they purposefully increasingly purposefully ignore the fundamentals because they hate the fundamentals so uh i if there was a lot there if you liked it i'd uh suggest you go back and look at it again if you didn't like it i suggest you go back and look at it again because there is solid food there what do you think Aaron? Yeah, this is extremely interesting, as was the conversation that um, uh, Tucker Carlson originally had that kicked off this entire thing. I've been thinking about this uh, for years now, um, but it is it is fascinating that it seems like our c- cultural collapse was like tailor-made, really. Um, you look back at who was in the universities, and it, you can go back. When you try to find um, cultural collapse or the beginning of the collapse of 
of any society, any culture, any country, any nation. Eventually, you're going to do a, a finite regress back to the fall of man in the garden. Okay, but when you look back at the beginning of the fall of, of American culture, it really started with some of the thinkers, uh, thought leaders, elitists in America that were coming out of the uh, – that were attending the German universities and because those used to be the, considered to be the best in the world. And of course, you understand uh, around the – this was around the time leading up to um, you know the world wars. And so you can understand the type of thinking, the type of humanist, the secular humanistic thinking that was coming out of German universities and being propagated in America by the elitists and the big thinkers of, of America, mm-hmm. uh, of American culture. And when you look at the wars, you look at the men coming back from wars to their families or maybe not to their families, the ones that did make it. You look at the continued war, the Korean conflict, the Vietnam War, and you look at who's teaching in the universities. And you look at some of the jobs that are, um, that are beginning to go away as well. This is all happening within a 30 to 40 year period, one generation. Happens to be a generation that's having a ton of kids going to these schools, going to these universities. This collapse was tailor-made. We need a tailor-made, meaning tailor-made, it was almost providential, which means the only solution to this is also going to be providential. All of this is, uh, and I don't want to be like the guy with the crazy hair from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. There's a conspiracy. It's all, all of this is related. No, all of this, everything, every, every blight on our culture, and it's never been perfect, never will be, never will be this this side of Eden, the east of Eden. All of this is connected. All of this, all of the genesis, all of the origins of every blight on our culture are all connected, all connected, um, at least in this part of the collapse. Um, it, it, is, it is fascinating in a slightly morbid way, but I think you should, when we're having these conversations – if nothing else, be struck with the mere immensity of how uh, of, of our culture and of our society, uh, of the issues that we have. When you're struck with that immensity, I think you'll only be left with one conclusion. We're going to lose this country to these leftists unless we are capable of addressing these meta narratives and existential meaningful themes to the people. People will choose will choose fake philosophy, fake inspiration over no philosophy or no inspiration at all every single time. It is a truth of human history. And this is my point that I've been trying to make since we started responding to these conversations the last few weeks. Whatever the ratio is between getting our clicks to keep the lights on in all these places that we all work, to, you know, the, the owning the libs part of this job and we do it too. And it's fun to do, by the way, that's, that's one of the most fun parts of this job. <laughs> All right. Um, we're not more pious than our peers. Okay. The, the difference though, is that, um, all fun and no play, uh, or all work or all, all play and no work makes Jack uh, a fallen boy. We are going to lose this country to the people that are offering them fake significance and meaning over us offering them none. 
And so while we want to, you know, get our clicks in on Michael Cohen, which most Americans don't care and didn't watch. But they did watch a president say on television that he thought it was okay that the leader of North Korea didn't kill this American that he killed because he just takes his word for it. They, I promise you, I promise you, oh, it won't even be close. The amount of voters we need to convince in this next election that saw that is dwarfs how many watched three seconds of Michael Cohen. I promise you. And we got to make a decision as a movement. Well, first of all, are we one? Are we, are we purely an industry? See, I think we can be both. I'm a capitalist. I like selling books. I'm trying to subsidize a family Disney trip right now. As a matter of fact, I don't see a problem. What's, I mean, of all the things to attack Michael Cohen for, have you read the court filings? Because off the top of my head, I'd come up with like 15 right now. This is not a good guy. Okay. He deserves what's coming to him, if not worse. But attacking him on the grounds that he's going to sell his uh, story for books and movies. I, I, so now we don't want to make, I'm confused. We don't want to make a buck or we do. That's all we ever want to do. You know what? What is our end game? What are we trying to conserve? How will we know we've been successful? What would, what would be the final entry in our story? That would justify us having the next line being, and they lived happily ever after. Do we know the answer to that? Because we, we're starting to sound like progressives. When, when will America not be racist anymore? What, what's the benchmark? Do we know? What's the benchmark? How many more laws? How much more money can be redistributed? How much more guilt can we peddle? Yeah. When, when, when will we ever arrive? Do we know? I don't know. When will we not be homophobic anymore? When will we not be sexist anymore? Do we know the answers to any of these questions? And the answer is no, because their entire narrative depends on victimology to get us to the point that they really want to get us to, which is Marxism. People have only chosen Marxism in the last two centuries when they've been convinced that they're victimized beyond redemption and they have no other alternative. That's always, this is always what is required to get a people to sign up to this. Victimology becomes their identity. What's our end game? What, what, what do we want the, what are we striving to have the final chapter of our, the story we're trying to tell be? Do we know? And it better be more than win the next election every time. It better be more than cable news ratings. What is it? See, we don't know the answer. And that's right now we're not a movement and only an industry. And if that continues, we are going to lose this country. I promise. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, live and on demand on The Blaze. We're not big on victimology or excuses here on this show. So our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition have come through to end your excuses for not eating your vegetables. 
because now you're going to get to drink them instead. And it actually tastes good. It's a fantastic product. I use this regularly myself. It's called Field of Greens, real USDA organic fruits and vegetables, complete with all those antioxidants, boost immunity boosters, antioxidant power, pre and probiotics that are lacking from a lot of our foods today. So they can strip them of everything that would cause them to spoil so they can uh, be mass produced, shipped and stay on a store shelf for six months. All right. So uh, all that stuff's missing nowadays, or at least a lot of it is. Get it back uh, in your lifestyle with our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition through Field of Greens. It's uh, as simple as putting one scoop in any drink you'd like, any water-based drink you like. I mean, I don't put it in some soda, shake it up. Might get a surprise <laughs> if that were to happen. All right, so any water-based drink, just take a scoop, shake it up, and there you go. Um, it's not some fly-by-night supplement. It's not a laboratory-created vitamin that kills your kidneys. It's an actual food, which is why when you turn over the label, it doesn't say supplement facts. It says nutrition facts. Uh, real food, Field of Greens. You can get it right now at BrickHouseSteve.com. Just go to the website, BrickHouseSteve.com, and use promo code Steve to get 15% off of your first order. BrickHouseSteve.com, promo code Steve for Field of Greens. All right, let's uh, continue with uh, Theology Thursday uh, and our series, this is the first time we've ever done a Bible study. For those of you that are new to the show, we're going through uh, the book of Colossians. And when we went through uh, uh, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, the first chapter is Paul is drawing a distinction between truth and error, truth and lie. All right, what is deceptive, hollow, human-based uh, philosophy, and then what is um, you know the highest form of truth from God Himself? And so that's what chapter one is about. Um, and then chapter two uh, gets more into um, those specific separations. How do you know you have fallen for that, uh, which appears to sound right, but uh, it, the road to hell is paved with the best of intentions. Chapter three now is where we are. And this gets into now that you know the truth and the truth that sets you free, here is how we are to live. And we left off in uh, verse 22. Of chapter three. And Paul writes, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. For those of you wondering, we use the ESV, and I, I'm not here to peddle a particular version over another. I just like the ESV because it is a word for word translation of original manuscripts uh, in, in contemporary English, but word for word. Okay. Wives, uh, we already did that part. Let's not get any more trouble. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, uh, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Here is um, two themes that are restated that are prevalent throughout the scriptures. One, no partiality. It, sometimes it's, it's said in other places in the Bible, uh, God is no respecter of persons. Okay? Your founding fathers cited this in the, in the founding document of this country when they wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. All right? So this is the idea that everyone, from king to slave, 
Uh, and slave in this culture means something a little bit different than it does in ours, and I'll get to that in a moment, okay? Uh, because this is one of the passages you'll sometimes see critics of the Bible use to say that it defends slavery. So we will we will tackle that subject. Believe me, I'm not going to let a hanging curveball like that just go by and say, "Hey, we'll see you tomorrow at first pitch 105." Okay, we're gonna we're gonna tackle that one. Um, but I want to get to the two themes that you see repeated often in the scriptures: this idea that all of us regardless of our station in life or lack thereof are all equally accountable to God. Um, and that we're not favored in God's eyes by our positioning according to the things of this world, but that we are favored in God's eyes by our place in the world to come in his kingdom to come okay that kings go to hell too princes go to hell too queens go to hell too rich people powerful people go to hell too the other day we were watching for uh, family movie night we were watching uh, the man in the iron mask the uh, version with uh, a young leonardo dicaprio from the uh, from the late '90s, and um, there's a scene where his the the evil twin basically is about to go to bed with a woman he's not yet married, and he pulled a King David essentially. He had her betrothed sent off to the front to be killed so he could have her to himself, and he's about to bed her. She feels like she can't say no because it's the king. So she starts to weep openly there in his bedchamber. And he asks her, what's wrong? And he, she says, if I do this, I will sin against God. I will deserve hell for doing this. She goes, we will both deserve hell. We will both have sinned against God. And he tries to console her and then says this. Oh, you will deserve hell, not me. For I am king, is what he says. This is something that is rebuked throughout the scriptures. This idea that your station in the earthly kingdom it um, exempts you from accountability in the kingdom come. No, it does not. And some of that, if not all of it, comes from what we talked about last week. Since it's often men in these positions, it is often the same mistake. The conflation of authority with responsibility. They're not the same. You may have the ultimate responsibility for these people as their king, but you are not their ultimate authority. In fact, throughout even this portion of the scriptures that we were reading here. Work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. You are serving, later in the same group of verses, you are serving the Lord Christ in the same group of verses, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance. Who's the authority here? God. God is the authority. 
Your earthly master is not the authority. God is. Your earthly master has never been the authority and never will be. He may, as your earthly master, bear the responsibility of a higher responsibility than you do. That may be true. But he is not the authority. This goes to the submission conversation we had last week. Ultimately, submission is to God. You may have an earthly vessel put in front of you that God in his chain of command and through his sovereignty has the power alone to say, in my chain of command, this is the being who has has higher responsibility than you or responsibility even for you. But responsibility and authority are not the same. Tyrants, tyrants focus on authority. Servant leaders, like Christ, bear the responsibility. Those are two different things. You want to be a good father? You want to be a good husband? Take less of your focus off of your authority and bear more responsibility. How much, Steve? More. Well, how much is more? I don't know. Just start with more and keep working your way up. (laughs) That would be my advice. All right? And, And nine times out of 10, when we as men fail the people around us, it is because we didn't bear the responsibility we're called to bear. Another theme that happens here. So there's no partiality. Another theme that you see repeated in these verses is actually something we've already just discussed in the last few minutes. And it's the reason there is no partiality. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. God is holy. He is set apart from us. There's God and then there's us. There's God's authority and then there's us. Now, in, in here east of Eden, we need, we need structures. You know, Paul writes in one of his other letters, God is a God of order. Right, And so on our own, we will create chaos, disorder. So there has to be some order. That's why you have offices and churches like deacons and elders and pastors and priests. Okay, That's why you have apostles who oversee numerous congregations, for example. Those are examples. There, need to be, there needs to be order. But again, order is not the same as, a, as, as, as authority. Who is the head of the order? Who is the head of the order? God. You may have a more prominent place within the order. But again, that is not authority. That is responsibility. Because ultimately what you do is supposed to be whether you're here in the order or you're up here in the order, the motivation is the same. To glorify God. Whatever you do, work haste heartily as for the Lord, 
and not for men. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Men aren't worthy of pleasing because they're not the authority. God is. God is the authority. So he is the one worthy of pleasing. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Now, we're just going to do verses 22 through 25 today, right? So let's start this over at the top. Only we're, we're only doing three verses today, okay? Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, reference one. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, reference two, and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, reference three. You are serving the Lord Christ, reference four. Uh, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. That's four times in three verses this is stated. Whatever you do, this is a, this is, this is a restating of the same principle over and over again. Whatever you do, glorify God. The purpose of human life is to know and glorify God. That's the purpose of human life. That's why we're here. And as I read through this again, I would actually say, now there's another, there's a third, there's a third line of reasoning in these, in these verses that are a common theme throughout the scriptures. The notion of restitutional justice. This is something we talked about. Was it uh, last Friday? We had an email about this on Feedback Friday. Yep, I think it was. Talionic justice. Yes. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth in the Old Testament is not about revenge. It's about restitution which you have wrongfully done to another, which you have, what's a crime? We said last Friday, a crime is when you impose your sin on another person. That's a crime. So whatever, whatever your sin you imposed on someone else took from the other party parties, you must pay restitution for. That's restated here. Before we go on and tackle... The elephant in the room here, the the bond servant question. You guys want to add anything to either of those first few points? I think there's no coincidence, is there, that um, all of those examples are uh, in there for a reason, specifically um, working uh, for for the Lord and not uh, not for men, because especially especially. Um, as dudes, we want the affirmation of that whatever we're doing is good enough. We always want to be, you know, there's there. what is the, the two insecurities most guys have? My good enough, uh, and I can't remember what the other one is, but that's one of the major ones. Uh, there's a reason why that's, I think, put in there because uh, most people uh, left to their own devices are going to look, and especially for dudes, uh, are going to look to their titles, their jobs, whatever they have as um, the indication or the affirmation that what they're doing matters um, and their success therein as, as what they're doing matters. So I think it's there's no mistake. There's no um, – that this he's not just thinking his stuff off the top of his head, Paul. I, those things are in there for a very specific reason. So let's tackle the slavery question, all right? Um, this is actually pretty simple. And I don't mean oversimplification, you know. Um, I, I mean, it's actually really simple. 
I agree. The, the, the concepts of slavery in the, in the ancient world, you have to understand you're dealing with a pre-industrial world, a pre-middle class world, okay? So the term bond servant, you essentially sold yourself into devotion, yeah, yeah. Could you be made a slave for tyrannical reasons? You were part of a, a you know, a formal, a, a culture that had been conquered by another. Yes, absolutely. Okay, but this was an economic institution all throughout the world for thousands of years, because there were only so many ways that you could fend for yourself, provide for yourself, to the point of not becoming a slave based off of oppression. And so you would this this is this is the one of the closest forms to our idea of work in a middle class post industrial revolution era. They're simply not morally equivalent by and large whatsoever. The 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 book of Philemon where this comes up again is another example of this. Okay? There if 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 someone is comparing slavery in the ancient world that Paul is discussing with what went on in the American South and through much of Western civilization in the 17th and 18th into the early 19th centuries in some cases. Um, or actually, no, my math is off. So 18th, 19th, early 20th centuries in some cases. Then they're either idiots or they, they hate the word of God. They're God haters. And so they're purposefully conflating uh, eras and institutions that are not the same in any way, shape, or form. That's it. It doesn't require any other exegesis other than that. The cultural conditions are not the same. They're just not the same. People were left with very few opportunities if they were not part of the elite or they weren't, um, they weren't capable of serving in a military. They were left with very few opportunities to provide for themselves. There weren't a lot of industries. Why is prostitution the world's oldest profession? Women in particular didn't have a lot of places they could go to earn a living other than selling their bodies. So, Todd, they're just not they're just not morally equivalent because the times and circumstances aren't the same in any way, shape, or form. I absolutely agree. But let's say for the sake of argument, we make that the darkest possible version of slavery. Uh, there is still great, great hope. In what you're reading, we sit there. Oh, what kind of God would give that kind of adv- advice? You saying that from your comfort, your largesse, when you've got nothing, mm-hmm. you're being told there is still hope, and it is me, and cling to me. Mm-hmm. Like, what a wonderful God. Amen. Well said. That'll do it for today. I want to thank Tim Carney uh, for joining us. Check out his book, uh, Alienated America. All of you for putting up with us another day as well. Back at it again tomorrow. Until then, John three seventeen. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.